You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. As we get into today's passage, it's a little bit more of a, um, it's an intense one. It kind of has that Revelation feel to it because you can tell that John, when he was writing Revelation, was partially working off of this passage based on the same lingo coming out. So uh, I'm going to use a little bit of that new foot pedal you guys gave me last week. Thank you very much for the gift. That was very kind. Uh, We're going to use it as a... a, um, a chance to kind of create a meditative space and to dive into that passage. So I've talked about this before, but in case you haven't heard me talk about it, when it comes to the prophets and visions, a lot of times we think like that they just look around them and everywhere that they look, suddenly the prophets are seeing like everything in real time right in front of them. That does happen. It's a specific kind of vision known as a open vision in the Bible. But visions oftentimes in the Bible get compared to dreams. And dreams are not, you know, open all around you, uh, but you more or less have like night dreams when you're sleeping. And then during the daytime when we're dreaming, we kind of call it daydreams. So we're gonna daydream with God a little bit, like I believe the prophets often did to pursue God in vision. And we're gonna allow Isaiah to dictate the direction that we're going as we try to kind of settle into the mental image Uh, or in his case, probably the open vision uh, that he has. So essentially, I'm going to read this passage to you once, uh, and then I'm going to read it to you a second time, but help paint the picture better for you, a bit more broader for you. And then we're going to move into some worship right out of that. So um, as we dim the lights and give you space to just kind of be with God and allow the Holy Spirit to come, I will start us off with just kind of playing some chill music, give you some space to, to pray, open your heart up, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So, Holy Spirit, make this space yours. We ask you to come and dwell in our minds and our hearts. Warm them both to see you in the light that you want to be seen in. Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a moment first to ask God just to to come and meet with you.
King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood Seraphim. Each of them had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. foundations of the thresholds shook the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and I said woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. to come to it and, and put yourself in the place of Isaiah. Imagine this first person, you are now Isaiah. And here's the thing, in, in the Old Testament, the temple was thought to be a place not just where uh, you went to make sacrifices, but the thought was that in the spiritual realm, there was overlap. That just as God has his own heavenly temple, so 
so we have a version of it here on the earth. And so when you're walking into to God's heavenly temple, you're walking into a sacred space that in a spiritual world overlaps with God's space. That's what we become as humans in the New Testament. We become sacred space. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're the new temples. We're overlapping as God comes to meet with us in the sacred space of our bodies. Because of that, we might imagine Isaiah actually walking into the temple in Jerusalem as these giant doors and And as he opens them, they rumble loudly. They shake loudly. You can feel the vibrations in the room. They they stir in your chest. But as Isaiah walks in, perhaps rather than seeing the physical temple that he would expect to see, he sees God's temple. He finds that as he's walked into Solomon's temple, He's walked right into God's space. It'd be like walking in the 1208 and seeing Jesus sitting on the stage unexpectedly in that sacred space. As you walk into the temple, as you keep imagining this, you notice that you're standing on something. It's kind of blowing in the breeze and as you look down you realize you've been standing on a robe leads all the way up the the stairs at the front where there's a throne and 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 this bright shiny being sitting on it and you know it's God and you notice that the robe is filling the entire temple not just not just coming off of the the stairs, but there you are standing on it. You realize just how big God is and you feel this surreal moment. And above him you see flying in place these seraphim, these seraphim with six wings. Two of the wings they use to cover their face, they Perhaps they almost seem afraid themselves to see God's face, even though they live here in this sacred spot. That perhaps God's presence is almost too much for them to handle. Which makes you wonder just how safe it is for you to be there. Two of their other wings, they cover their feet. Though the Bible, especially the Old Testament, uses feet as a euphemism a lot of times. So the idea is more that nudity isn't allowed in this holy temple, just like it was in the Old Testament law in the physical temple. So these these angelic beings are more covering their private parts. With two other wings, they fly. And you notice that they kind of look like serpents, like fiery serpents to some extent. So that's more or less a translation of seraphim. It's a fiery serpent-like being. Which doesn't surprise you when you think about it, because Satan, 
When he was found in God's sacred space guarding a sacred tree, he too had kind of a snake-like form. But these snake-like forms aren't evil. These angels fly with six wings and they have a serpent look to them. But you can tell that they are glorious and holy. And then one calls out to the other seraphim and it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. that you find in this place is seeping out of the temple filling the rest of the earth and not only that but filling the heavens they say holy 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 is the lord of hosts that word host is referencing the heavenly hosts those who live in the heavens. He is the God of them. He is the God of the earth. He is the God of us. And as that angelic serpent-like seraphim says this, the foundations of the thresholds of the room that you're in, they begin to shake makes you nervous because if this is the way that life feels when an angel speaks well it'll be like when that God who's sitting on the throne speaks and as everything shakes suddenly the room is filled with smoke from the altar begins billowing out like a smoke machine that foggy Shekinah presence that we've talked about. It's hard to see anything anymore. It's hard to get a good glimpse of God or the seraphim. It's very cloudy just like it is when God's presence enters the temple. And here's Isaiah's reaction in that moment. Again, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This was where it's important to insert your own reaction. For Isaiah, he comes in contact with God, and the first thing that goes through his mind is, my lips are unclean. That might be the same for you. It's 2020. Everybody's lips are pretty much unclean at this point. Even those who say things that are right, even biblically right, say it in such a way that their character makes it wrong. 
But this is your moment. You're before God. What's that thing that's always come to mind that you think God would call you out about? What's the first thing Isaiah says, my lips? What's the first thing that you think I would feel very unfit to be in God's presence because of this? Whether it be a characteristic of your life or a sin, something else. probably come to your head pretty quick. Now go ahead and take that uh, characteristic or that sin, whatever it is, and assign it to a body part. Just like for Isaiah, it was his lips, because it was his words were unclean. It's a man of unclean lips. If you were to take what you first feel in God's presence, where would you assign that on your body? Think about that. sacrifice and his love for us we're going to bring him into this story as well it's at this point that one of the seraphim fly over to you with the six wings they fly over to you gracefully and on, on the way they take some tongs and they they pull a burning coal out of the altar this place that's always been meant for sacrifices to be made in order to find atonement for sin, to find forgiveness. And because we know that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate forgiveness, just through the fog, you catch just enough glimpse to see his body there on the altar where the smoke is billowing out. And the angel grabs a coal from this Jesus altar. He flies over to you and he takes it. And whatever body part you've assigned, he takes it and he touches it to it. Just as it says to Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Perhaps in this moment you see Jesus looking at you, and if you're truly repentant, truly wanting grace, and truly wanting to follow Jesus, he looks to you in this moment touches your lips, touches somewhere else and says, Behold, 
this has touched you, your guilt is taken away by Jesus and your sin atoned for by Jesus. This is a surreal moment for Isaiah. So it is a surreal moment for us today. As we practice the art of prophetic vision with the prophets to make scripture come alive. Bring Jesus into that picture now. He walks up to you. What does he have to say to you in this moment? Take a moment and meditate on that. by some that Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, that he was practicing a art of mystical vision like this that uh, would have been practiced at the time, except in that case it would have been Ezekiel's vision of this 
of God riding on this chariot with all these wheels of fire with wheels within wheels, if you know that passage. And the practice of this vision was to start at the wheels and just keep working your way up until you got to the um, until you got to God's face himself. And we can never know what was going through Paul's mind, but some came to the the theory. What if Paul was practicing this on the horse, just always keeping his mind on the scriptures when when he worked his way up to the face? And instead of seeing what he might think was God there, that he saw Jesus, and in that moment was knocked off his horse. We of course know that Jesus is God, and so we can bring him into those places with us, because he is inside of us right now. We are God's holy sacred temple the space of the New Testament where he meets us. So if we're looking for Jesus, we don't need to look any further than stopping and praying to meet with him. The Bible says if you need wisdom, ask and it will be given to you. Paul talks about Jesus uh, as though, he talks about the Holy Spirit as though just in the same way we hear our own thoughts, that we can stop and hear God's thoughts. So just as we search out the thoughts of our own spirit, so we can stop and search out the thoughts of God's spirit, because he's right here with us. Take this kind of way of of finding Jesus to allow him to speak to you in those moments to make the scriptures real to you and to lead you deeper into worship. We're going to spend time continuing in worship on that theme right there.